Well, I feel like I've kind of already given away my intro, but this is a season for peace, and yet it's also quite the hectic season, isn't it? And uh, like our open house where we're rushing and rushing and scrambling to get things together, maybe you're rushing and rushing and scrambling to get things together this next week. And so I want to ask you, are you feeling peace today? Are you at peace today? Or are you feeling like there's not enough time to get everything ready? Or maybe there are too many demands on you and you would just like a little peace and quiet. You know, it seems like we... I think personally that over the last few years, things are getting better. I think America really got crazy there for a while, overdoing the, the Christmas commercialism. And maybe it's just my perspective of things in my own life. But I feel like maybe it's calming down just a tad. Maybe with recent events, people are not feeling the need to overdo it and just to have simple things. I don't know. But today we're going to look at Jesus Christ and at God, His Father, even uh, with Him, as the peace giver. And we often talk about how uh, you know, when I'm doing this Sunday on, for Advent, sometimes I'll talk about how Jesus makes peace for us between one another and peace with us and God. And as I've thought about this focus of peace, uh, an interesting idea hit me when I was reading through Revelation chapter 6. And so if you'll turn with me real quick, we're not going to stay there, but this is going to be the beginning of a journey this morning in looking at God's activities as the peace giver. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, and I'm just going to look at verses 3 and 4. This is the beginning of opening up the seals of the book that has been given, the scroll that has been given to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he is the one who is breaking them open. And he broke open the first seal, and a, a horse came out, and a person was sitting on that horse, had a bow. He was given a crown, and he was sent with authority to conquer, and to, uh, to go out conquering and to conquer. And then in verse 3, we're going to read about the second seal, and it says that when he broke the second seal... I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And I know what you're saying. What are you talking about for peace when you say it was granted to take peace from the earth? But isn't that a fascinating thing to consider? That, that God, in His authority over all things, can give to someone or to an entity uh, represented here as a horseman the authority. It was granted to Him. It was given to Him to take away peace. That that peace is already there. That peace is, is available and the word take away literally means to take that which is available and to, to forcefully take it even. To take away peace from the earth. Specifically that men would slay and a great sword was given to him. Have you ever considered the fact that the one who has the ability to give has the ability to take away? And that if God is the peace giver, 
that He is also the peace taker? That God can take away our peace? Now, I, I think about this and lots of people, lots of things can take away our peace. But God, when, I, when we say God can take away our peace, we don't mean the ability necessarily, but the authority. For instance, in, in our house, we have electronic devices. And some people, if you let them, they will spend all their day on those electronic devices. And so, uh, and, and I'm one of them, <laughs> you know. And, and so we have time limits set up. And if somebody is going across that time limit, we can go to them and say, give it up now. You could say I'm interrupting their peace. I am, I am robbing them of their enjoyment of what they are doing. Sometimes, if they think I've been on my computer too long, they might come up to me and say, give it up, put it away. You know, if I'm on my phone when I shouldn't be, it's too early in the morning or something, you know, put it away. Now here's the thing, they may be right, but the parent-child relationship is such that I have every right and every authority to say, Give me your device. I am going to take it away from you until another time. They have no authority. They have no right to say, give it up. I am taking it away from you until a better time. Now, they have the right to say, would you please? You know, they can entreat me as master of the house to give them some attention. But there is a difference between the relationship and the same thing here with peace. Yes, children can interrupt your peace. They can come in and, and people can interrupt your peace and people can rob you of peace and joy. They can disrupt your life. The difference here is that God, when He takes away peace, that He can take away our peace, it's not just that He has the ability to, He can do it, but He has the authority to. He can do it. Just like when he talked about, when Jesus talked about, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that they can't do anything. He wasn't talking about that they had the right or the authority. He said, be afraid of the one who not only can kill you, but afterwards can consign you to hell and can kill you a second time. God has authority over our lives. He has the authority to help to give us life or to take it away. We do not have that authority. That is why if I were to go and to kill somebody, I, Lord willing, will be arrested, tried, and convicted. The state has the authority. I, as a private individual, don't. I don't have the authority to go back and get somebody who has done horrendous things to me. I don't have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth vengeance capability. I have to go to the state. The state has that authority because God gave the state that authority. But the authority ultimately is God. And so while things in this earth may take away our peace, and while some people might rob you of your peace and your comfort at home, maybe the, the woodpecker outside or the noisy dog in your neighborhood who barks all the time, you know, and their, their owners won't let them back inside no matter how cold it gets, they may have the ability to take away our peace, but do they have the authority? No. That's sin working. But God can take away our peace. And when God takes our peace,
peace. Even to give a sword that men might slay one another, God is not sinning. God can take away our peace, and He is not wronging you if He takes away your peace. A neighbor who is having a wild party at 2 a.m. is wronging me if they rob me of my peace. God, if He wakes me up at 2 a.m. and will not allow me to go back to sleep, He is not wronging me by disturbing my peace. Do you see the difference? God can take away our peace. And He has every right here. And He even sends one to take away peace from the world. Now, why would He do that? And we see Him do this in other ways and areas. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending His disciples out to, to, to proclaim His ministry, He tells them in ch- chapter 10, verse 12, as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. And blessing of is added in. It's literally, give it your peace. Some churches even today, they'll have a time of passing the peace. Whereas uh, you might have grown up in a church where you had a welcome time and you, you, know, you made the visitors stand up and everybody stared at them and clapped at them for showing up. And then you were hopefully going to go and shake their hands. There are church traditions where they say, we will now pass the peace. And everybody gets up and they greet one another. And some of them kiss one another and they say, peace be to you. And then the other one will say, and, and also to you. They pass the peace together. It's a greeting time, but they're passing the peace. In the same way here, it's a blessing. Give it your peace. Then he says, but if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Take back your peace if the house isn't worthy. So Jesus is even telling His disciples here, just like God gave the authority to the one who rode on the red horse to take peace from the earth, He says to His disciples, when you go into a town, the house that invites you in, go in and greet it. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing. But if it's not worthy, take that blessing back. Don't take that blessing back. If they're not going to walk with you in the proper way, if they're not going to respond to you as if they were responding to me, take your blessing back. Don't let it stay there. He gave them authority to bless and remove that blessing. In fact, Jesus in chapter 10, just a little while later in verse 34, He even tells the disciples, as He's talking about how uh, there will be struggles in the world, He says to them in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. And that's a strange thing for the Prince of Peace to say, isn't it? He has come to bring peace. In fact, as the angels are proclaiming His birth to the shepherds, they say, peace on earth to men on whom He dwells, or with whom He dwells. His desire is for peace to be with us, and yet Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so in a certain way, he's even going back to Revelation chapter 6. It was given him to take away peace from the earth, and it was given to him a sword. This is why some people, they look at the first and second horsemen, and you you can see parallels with Jesus. A crown was given to him to conquer. A sword was given to him to take away peace from the earth. 
And Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Not that he's out there to slaughter people, to kill them. No, he's not here to slay people. He is here to die on our behalf. But he doesn't create peace because he rips families apart. He, he drives a wedge between brothers, between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. How does he drive that wedge? By being himself. By, by calling people to respond to him and worship, to him, worship him. He doesn't bring peace because of who he is, that he is calling us back to God and he is giving us an avenue to go back to God from our rebellion through him. And if you accept him, you know, we're all going along in life and we're at peace with the world. We're part of the world. And then Jesus comes into our life and, and we recognize that He died on the cross for our sins. And we recognize that we have sin. And so we repent and we ask Him for our forgiveness and we decide to start following Him. And as soon as you do that, the peace you are at with the world because, becomes enmity. Now we are at peace with God and with Christ, the one we are at rebellion with, and now the world is against us. Because we're against the world. Because we're starting to walk with Christ. And as we walk with God, the world will not be at peace with us. James tells us that, don't, don't you know that friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God? That's why there is no peace with Jesus when He comes. He did not bring, come to bring peace but a sword because the world does not accept Him. And here's the thing, in both, both in, 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 in the, the, the Revelation passage with giving the, the sword to, and the authority to take away peace from the one who rides on the red horse, to the disciples that they could give a house their peace, but they could take that peace away. And even Jesus as He came and He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's not uh, happenstance. There is purpose behind it. When, when, when God takes away our peace, when God allows there to not be peace in the world, God has a purpose for removing peace. When He does it, He has a purpose in mind and a reason why, even if it's not a, a purpose for causing a lack of peace, He has a purpose for allowing the effect to be a lack of peace. Sometimes I think we can make peace a God. Peace at all cost sometimes, right? We don't want to go to war as a nation, and so we bend over backwards, and we will become as friendly as we possibly can with people who want nothing more than our destruction because more than life, more than freedom, more than the philosophies and worldview that we uh, hold to, we value peace. And it doesn't matter if, if uh, children in another country are starving to death today. Just as long as we can have peace and a good gross national product here at home. Right? That's what really matters. We want peace. We can make peace a God instead of looking to God for our peace. We can make the peace the end result that we are looking for. And we can make God the one who's supposed to get it for us. And that's not God's purposes and His plans. His end result is Himself. 
that we would know Him and that we would worship Him and be His people. That's, that's the end result. Peace or a lack of peace is a tool. And He has a purpose for it in our lives. And, and now, what is that purpose? It's easy to say, well, if you're lacking peace today, maybe it's because there's some unresolved sin in your life. And, and that's true. A lot of times, if you're openly, actively sinning against the Lord, you're going to have a lack of peace in your life. And that's a, that's a way of disciplining us sometimes. And it's, it's allowing us to know that our life is out of balance. But that's not it. In fact, that's probably a very small reason why there's a lack of peace. I think some of the purposes for God's lack of peace in our life can be to help us to discipline us. It, it, I wish there was a better way. But it seems like you can't quite become disciplined unless you have to go through some hardship. You know, that, That's why there are not Barca lounges in boot camp. They, they want you to go through hardship and by going through those hardships, you learn discipline. It transforms you. And the same thing is true in our lives. Sometimes we have a lack of peace in our life because we are being disciplined. Not in a negative way, but in a positive way that He is trying to help us to grow, to strengthen. You know, you have to go through the lack of peace even. And small things, diet is a lack of peace running or jogging or walking a lot to lose weight or to get healthy is a lack of peace. Weightlifting is a lack of peace. You tear down the muscle so that it will heal and grow bigger. But that's a lack of peace. Nobody just sits on the couch eating chips and gets healthier. You know, you need the lack of peace in your life for, to create the discipline. Sometimes we have a lack of peace in our life for growth. To help us to grow in Him. Sometimes it's just to move us on. You know, I think of there's, there's times, for instance, in Genesis where uh, Isaac is going to reopen a well that Abraham dug. And then the people of that area, they argue with him and say, no, that's our well. So he goes a little further and he digs out another one of the wells that his father made. And they come and say, no, that's our well. And so he goes a little further and he digs a well. And they leave him alone. The lack of peace, that conflict with those neighbors could have just been about moving him further down the line. And once he got to where he was at peace, he got to stay. You know, I think about Joseph and his brothers. You ever think about the fact that, you know, his brothers, what did they do? They, they threw him in a cistern to kill him and then sold him into slavery to Egypt. Why? Because he was a snotty little brat that kept telling him about his dreams, about how they were going to bow down to him. And even his dad and his mom were going to bow down to him. And they said, we are tired of the snotty little brat. That's a lack of peace. But guess what? Where did Joseph get those dreams? God gave him those dreams. God purposely gave him those dreams. They didn't do him a lick of good. What did they do? They caused conflict with his family. That conflict led him to be enslaved in Egypt. His slavery in Egypt led to him being falsely accused and put into prison. His imprisonment led him to one day stand before Pharaoh and interpret a dream and to become second in command of all of Egypt to the point where when a famine came into the land, 
and a famine like a drought here, that, that there's lack of peace, right? You're, not, you're kind of wondering, when are we going to eat again? When are we going to get enough rain that we'll have enough water for things again? That famine led his family down there. And he had gone before them and prepared a place so that they were saved and that they were able to grow. And then what happens? They become enslaved. And then God breaks them out of Egypt. God strategically uses a lack of peace regularly in the lives of the nation of Israel. And a big one was the beginning with Joseph and his brothers and that family squabble. God started that. He created a lack of peace to move that family to Egypt. He created a lack of peace in Egypt to move them out again. He might be causing a lack of peace in our lives sometimes to move us on, whether physically or emotionally or relationally. We don't know. But sometimes that might happen. I want to look at a a picture of God and and the peace that He works. If you would, just uh, if you're in Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Jesus is uh, teaching around the Sea of Galilee and the crowd is getting so large that he is deciding to go to another side. So he wants to get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea. And verse 23 tells us, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him, his disciples, the only ones in the boat with him, they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And that word perishing is the exact same word used last week for the sheep that is lost. We are going to be destroyed. We are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, and rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, we often look at this passage and we, we see the, the disciples, and what are they, you know, they're They're in a storm and Jesus is asleep and so they're terrified. These are men, some of them, not all of them, but a good healthy portion of them are professional fishermen. Okay? This would be like one of the crews on on the deadliest catch being so freaked out and scared that they're asking the camera crew for help. What do we do? We don't know what to do. Jesus is a carpenter. Literally a builder. He is the type of guy who would work on houses and, and build them for you. you know, we, we often have a picture of him as working in a carpentry shop, but the, the real word meant somebody, a day laborer, who would build things. That was the work. He was not a professional fisherman. But they knew he was their Lord. And he is asleep. And they are being swamped by the waves, and they know that they are going to die. And it doesn't seem like... And in fact, Mark says, that, you know, that they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? 
Why are, how can you sleep? And then we see that he rebukes the wind and the sea and it became perfectly calm. And we think, yeah, Jesus brought the peace. He made it peaceful. In fact, in some translations, it doesn't say, um, it actually has Jesus' words, not just that he got up and rebuked it, but he says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves silence and it becomes calm. And we think, wow, that's, it became peaceful. I don't think it did. Because look at the disciples. What happens to them? They're amazed. And they said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Their relationship with Jesus is not at peace. They've woken him from his slumber. He has rebuked them for their lack of faith. And they are amazed at who he is. There is a lack of peace in that relationship as it ends right there. Not only that, have you ever been on a sailboat when there's no wind? Have you ever heard of being becalmed in between the, the trade winds of, uh, you know, the easterly and the westerly trade winds? There are times in, in, in back in the 1800s when people would just, they would sit in a spot for days on end hoping for wind. The, 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 the ocean is what they called becalmed. It, it looks like a piece of glass. You don't want that if you're in a sailing vessel. What happens when you're becalmed is you get into a rowboat and it's what they used to call sailing by ash breeze because the oars were made out of ash. And you would get your little rowboats out there and you would have ropes attached to the ship and you'd start trying to pull it across the ocean by oar until you could get some more breeze and continue on your journey. They were afraid of the waves coming over them. They should be equally afraid of the calm. Because now what are they going to have to do? Being calm isn't necessarily peace. These are just the external circumstances that they're in. They're in a storm. They didn't have peace. Now it's calm, and they still don't have peace. But oftentimes we look at the storm as being the lack of peace, and then the calm as being peace. We're looking at the circumstances, but peace is not found in our circumstances. And sometimes if things look good, they're actually bad. And sometimes when things look bad, they're actually good. You know, it's like that old... I can't remember what that show was called, but you know, the guy where he's got the joke, he, you know, oh, that's bad. No, that's good. And then he's got a little story to say, and the guy goes, oh, that's good. And he says, no, that's bad. And then he keeps going on. You've y'all, y'all ever seen that one? I forget the guy's name. Anyway, just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. Just because it looks bad doesn't mean it is bad. They were in the storm, and it was blowing, and they were going to be swamped. Jesus was asleep. The circumstances that they were in were not disturbing him, but his disciples disturbed him. And then when he rebukes the wind and the waves, now everything's calm. And I got a feeling those disciples got to spend the rest of the day sailing by ash breeze. Or the rest of the night. To be be calm is not necessarily a good thing. Our peace is not found in our circumstances. 
remember, God is the peace giver, but He is also the peace taker. Here's an interesting thing in these circumstances. I believe both circumstances were created by God. If Jesus, as the disciples said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey Him? Well, what happened when Jesus got in the boat and He fell asleep in the back? Did God somehow forget that He was out there? Did God somehow, you know, something was on the stove, it was about to burn, so he forgets about anything, and so a storm just rises up on the Mediterranean Sea? No, or the, excuse me, the Sea of Galilee? No. If a storm shows up on the Sea of Galilee, it shows up within his knowledge and his creation and his authoring of the world. If Jesus has the ability to command the winds and the sea and they obey him, I wonder if when he was going to sleep, even... It doesn't say, I am completely making this up. But I wonder if maybe while he was going to sleep, he was calling the waves and the wind. Several times in the Gospels, we see Jesus has complete control over the fish in the sea. I, I, and again, we, we don't know how it worked, but I can just imagine Jesus you know, telling the fish, go to the left side of the boat, go to the right side of the boat, stay away from the net, stay away from the net, stay away from the net, stay net. Okay, now I'm going to show myself to them Fish, all you fish get over to this side. Why don't you cast your net on the other side? And boom, there's a bunch of fish there. He controls. He has command and authority over the wind and the waves. I wonder, did Jesus call the wind and the waves before he went to sleep? Did God the Father just, once Jesus was asleep, send the wind and the waves? I know this. Look at this, the wording that Matthew uses. In verse 24, uh, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. We know that Jesus has control over the wind and the waves. He can tell the sea what to do. God the Father has control over the, the elements of the world. He can control the wind. If there arose a great storm on the sea, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. Behold, it appeared. It was such a great storm that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. Then look at verse 26. He says to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became, my translation says, perfectly calm. If you were to read it literally, it became a great calm. Now, that, that doesn't make much sense in English, right? What's a great calm? But the words in the Greek are the exact same. It was a great storm, and after Jesus spoke, it became a great calm. And then you see the parallelism. You see the, 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 the call and the answer. Followed by a great calm. We, we have, oh, it became perfectly calm. And we lose something in that. No, the calm was great just like the storm was great. The circumstances changed. That didn't change their lives. Instead, and a lot of times I think in our lives, I don't know about you, but for me personally, my circumstances can be the driver of my feelings. What's going on in my life can really dictate to me, am I positive today or am I negative? Am I happy today or am I sad? Am I excited about the future or do I dread the future? all based on what? Things external to me that I have no control over. That's why peace is not found 
in our circumstances. But God, who can give us peace and who can take it away. Why does He take it away? Why would He call a great storm up to help His disciples to grow, to to challenge them, to encourage them in their faith? Maybe to show them their lack of faith when He rebukes them later. Is it possible that God would allow, would call us into a place of failure that He might rebuke us? Yeah, if it helps us to grow in Him, in our faith, in our trust in Him. And by the end of it, there's still a lack of peace as far as their relationship with Jesus. They're not quite sure, and we don't know how grumpy He is because they woke Him up. We don't know what the relationship is there. I mean, Jesus isn't going to sin in it. And that's the focus. It can't be our circumstances. It has got to be in the one who has the authority to give us peace and to take it away. If we're looking for for true peace, it's not going to be when we get everything okay. It's not going to be when when all the circumstances in our environment is just right. True peace is found in Jesus. Within the midst of the storm, in the midst of the calm even, Sometimes you can be just as distraught when you're becalmed. When you think, how will we ever get out of this place? I feel like nothing is happening. Sometimes that's when we need to have peace in Jesus even more than when there's a storm. Because let's face it, when there's a storm going, you can do something. There is work to be done when you're fighting a storm. But when you're in the calm, Sometimes there's nothing to do. And that can be even worse. And so we must find our peace, our true peace in Jesus. He is the peace giver. Not circumstantial. Not by our circumstances, but in our hearts. That He he can take away peace from the world for the tribulation. And yet, He tells us in John, my peace I give you. Not like the world's peace. I'm going to give you peace. The world is going to be against you. They're going to hate you. They're going to attack you. They're going to try to arrest you. But I'm going to give you peace in the midst of that. That's true peace. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel a lack of peace today, is it because of your circumstances? Is it because of things that are not fully within your control? A relationship, uh, a money situation, a job situation, a home situation? What are the things today that can be causing us to not feel peace? To not be experiencing peace? And then I want to invite you and encourage you to turn your eyes on Jesus. To focus on Him. To let Him be your peace in the storm that you might be experiencing. To let Him be your peace in the calm you might be experiencing. That no matter what your circumstance is, trust in Jesus. Hold on to Him. Fix your eyes solely on Him. And find peace today. Because He truly is the peace giver. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, giving us peace in so many different ways.
We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, that we would not focus on our circumstances and what's uh, going on around us, or even in our hearts sometimes, so that we would focus on you. Lord, if we feel a lack of peace in our lives, we pray that we would look for what is the purpose? Why is it happening? Is it because I am in rebellion against you because of sin? Or is it because maybe you're doing something, you're working, and I need to trust you? Lord, we pray that that we would focus our attention on you. That we would look to you for peace, not in our circumstances, but in our hearts. Lord, we pray today for anyone who does not have the peace of Christ living within them, that they feel the rebellion against you and they want it to change. We pray that they would believe in Jesus, the one who has come to bring a sword, but also redemption. We pray that we would believe in him. And for anyone here today who has never believed in him, that they would confess their sins, trust in Jesus, be made to be at peace with you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.